Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. I am joined today by Priest. Christopher Priest, you know him uh, as the, uh, oh, man, where do you start with your, your illustrious bibliography uh, and, and, and credits to your name? But right now, we're going to talk about his career, his works, and uh, most specifically, most recently, the upcoming Vampirella 666, which I believe comes out this week. But as of the release of this episode, you'll be able to check out Vampirella 666 uh, when it comes out, uh, when this episode comes out. Welcome to the show, man. <laughs> well, thank you, Sal. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, so what can we expect? Uh, just talking about the, the, you know, the elephant in the room, the book that's coming out, the thing you're working on right now. You've been working on Vampirella for quite some time now. Uh, and, uh, and and ushering her into an interesting uh, new status quo, or status quo, I should say. Um, wh- where are we, what are we looking forward to with, with this with this seminal issue, 666? Okay, well, uh, uh, where do I begin? Um, right. So I think before I can talk about Vampirella, I have to start talking about Deathstroke. Excellent, okay. yes, okay. So, uh, I wrote Deathstroke for DC Comics for quite a while, and... Uh, it had its own following as mo- most, uh, a lot of the stuff that I write, whether it was Black Panther or Quantum and Woody or something like that, they always have their, their, their sort of core cult following, you know, while the great masses kind of peek in through the windows wondering, what is that? Should I read that? I don't yep. know if I should read that. <laughs> um, and uh, so with Deathstroke, the problem we were having, or the, that as I saw it with Deathstroke was that uh, they kept putting out uh, putting the comic book out with these covers that had Deathstroke holding a bloody sword and you know and he's beheaded someone Deathstroke you know bloody bloody yep. beheaded bloody bloody you know and and uh, and people tend to judge books by their cover uh, and not that these were bad covers necessarily but you know people would assume that Deathstroke was about this killing this, mayhem this, death yeah killing mayhem death you summed it up exactly right you know. <laughs> Um, and that's not at all what the book was about. Deathstroke was about, uh, it was, it was a comic book about the world's worst dad. Mm -hmm. It was about a guy who loved and wanted to be loved and yet was capable of neither. So he would do these ridiculous things like, uh, put out a hit on his own daughter so he could spend time with her, protecting her from this assassin who out to kill her, you know? Um, and, uh, if you've ever seen, uh, the, uh, the, the TV show House uh, yeah. starring Hugh Laurie, uh, you know, it was about this kind of dysfunctional genius doctor. Uh, you know, I always thought of Deathstroke as House MD with a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it, it, it had that sort of quirkiness to it where here's this guy that just can't quite break through to his own feelings and to right. his own needs. And that was like the, the 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 central conflict and the reason why he was such a, a dysfunctional character. Uh, but trying to get that message out, yeah. trying to get past the cover to grab audiences and introduce them to what's in here was always a challenge. Sure. Like like for years, I never watched the HBO series Six Feet Under because I assumed it was about zombies. Uh- and- <laughs> And I'm not such a zombie guy. And I was like, Ooh, you know, death, you know, because all, all the imagery from Six Feet Under was images of graves. Yes. Or, 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 or things of that nature, funeral images, you know. Uh, and it wasn't until, like, the show was well off the air, years mm-hmm. off the air, that I finally saw, all right, I'll watch the pilot. All right, just back off, back away. I'm going to watch the pilot. Yeah. And I watched the pilot, and I realized that, <laughs> that the show is about – a modern family about the stressors on a modern family, you know, uh, in the nineties, whenever that show was shot, you know, and, uh, you know, people who love each other, but who, you know, necessarily are being pulled in all these different directions. And, uh, the family, uh, owned this family business that was, uh, uh, you know, a funeral home was their family business, you know? Um, and, and I went, wow, I can't believe that I, I just, missed out on such a great show and it is a great show. And I, and I finally, I watched every bit of it, yeah. you know, um, because of my prejudice and because what I assumed was in it. So same thing with Deathstroke and, and, and to a certain extent with Black Panther, you know, so now here we are with Vampirella and Vampirella uh, retailers tend to segregate Vampirella because Vampirella is wearing this skimpy costume 
which really, Sal, is not really all that skimpy. Uh, it, yeah, I, you know, uh, I've seen worse. I've, I've seen, seen worse in I've, more I've, mainstream books. <laughs> I've seen worse on YouTube. I've sure. seen worse, you know, I'm like, oh, really? You know, uh, have you seen any of these rap videos lately? You know, <laughs> have you seen what these, you know, what these girls are wearing? You know, uh, so first of all, I don't think the costume is really nearly as controversial as it was in the 70s, for crying out loud. Sure. And it's the yeah. same costume. We really haven't changed it that much. No, which I actually kind of I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, I, I know that uh, they I think they've tried occasionally over the decades. And it's always been a mistake. It's always failed. It's never been yes. like a good move. It's always just like people want it's weird. You know, people want it to be like, I don't know, modern, but they yeah. also want the like iconography of like this enduring like people. When you think of Amparella, if you think of Amparella. It's yeah. that image. It's the image. It's really the image of her, like extending her hand with the bat. You know, I I think of or the uh, the the first Harris comics image. Yeah, the whole uh, the whole Jose Gonzalez yes. know, classic. You know, the thing is, you know, part of the reason why some uh, creative talent are reluctant to engage with Vampirella is is they get stuck at the costume. Yep. And, and you know, and they would just kind of go, well, this is too edgy, or this is too you know, whatever you want to put on it, you fill in your own adjective there. Sure. Um, and so some will say, okay, I'll do Vampirella if I can change the costume, mm. you know, or, uh, or whatever. And, uh, and I think that every time we change the costume, she stops being Vampirella. Right. Almost immediately. In fact, if we change her hairstyle, if she doesn't have the bangs, yeah. she doesn't look like Betty Page in a swimsuit. <laughs> right. Uh, with fangs, you yep. know, she's supposed to be sort of this playful, you know, uh, like 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 Vampirella is in on the joke, you right? Know? So like like when we're designing covers, I don't have a lot to do with the covers. I mm -hmm. wish I did, but I don't have a lot to do with the covers, and they don't necessarily listen to me. So what are you going to do? You right. know. But I, I've I, I've tried to explain to artists repeatedly that the best Vampirella covers. The thing to bear in mind is that number one, she's Betty Page with fangs. Right. So look at your Betty Page imagery and so forth. And you have that sort of wholesome girl next door, but I'll rip your throat out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, she's in on the joke. And what that means is when you compose your image, the character should be engaging with the reader. Yes. She should be looking at the reader. Mm. So the very best Vampirella covers, whatever she's doing, you know, her eyes are riveted toward you. Right. And engaging you. And she's aware that you're watching her, you know, and yeah. that's that's who she is. She's hence vamp, the vamp part of Vampirella. Right. right. You know, um, so uh, just as Deathstroke is uh, the world's worst dad, it's not about, you know, a, a hired killer. Right. Uh, that's just the family business. Sure. You know, uh, <laughs> Vampirella really isn't about blood and guts and gore and, and, and Satanism and skulls. And, you know, I mean, that's the iconography, iconography that, 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 that works for the display images and, uh, and, and covers nowadays, not just for Vampirella, but across the board in this industry, covers are what's keeping us alive. People collect their oh. favorite artists, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, the big, the big uh, variant game obviously is a huge, uh, huge player in the sales, and uh, and yeah. now you have artists who are making names for themselves without ever having drawn a comic book. Oh yeah, on covers. Yeah, yeah. Or you're seeing yeah. interior artists who are like, I, you mean I can make the same amount? Yeah. If I could just, and all I have to do is the cover. Because the cover, the cover will, will pay a premium to do the yeah. cover. Uh, that's the commission, and then there's the after party. <laughs> <laughs> where if if the, if the cover becomes iconic enough or right. famous enough, you know, then it has uh, enormous collector value. So, right. you know, a lot of artists will lock them up in a in a room somewhere for a couple of years mm -hmm. and see where the value of that uh, original art is, yeah. you know, down the road somewhere. And you know, and that's really how a lot of these people will make a living. You know, right. uh, uh, so I, I, I'm not blaming the cover. I'm not blaming the cover artist. It just is what it is. And, yeah. and and because of that approach and because of the costume and the blood and the bats, whatever, retailers <laughs> tend to segregate the product. And so they go, they 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 they, they display Vampirella over here yes. with that, you know, whatever uh -huh. that is. Mm -hmm. It's over here with that, as opposed to being next to, you know, 
Batman or Wolverine or whatever. It's over there with that. Yeah. Um, so and and that implies that there's something wrong or something dangerous or something, yes. you know, inappropriate or something, you know. Uh, but if you ever get inside the comic book, then you will see that Vampirella is about a young woman trying to make it on her own in the big city. Right. That's it. That's what the book's about. Okay. If you've ever seen the HBO series Girls, yeah, the Lena Dunham uh, uh, series. Uh, where Kylo Ren got his start, you know, <laughs> yeah, he was right. <laughs> he was uh, in that uh, in, in that show, uh, and it's a very good. It was an excellent series about these young people in the big city and what their struggles were with their family and their career and the blah 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 and all this stuff. And that's Vampirella. Okay, right. uh, the only catch is uh, uh, she just happens to be a, a vampire from outer space. Yeah, right. you know, but other than that, <laughs> other well, than that. Yeah, then they ask the hook, right? That's the uh, that's that's what makes people come back for more. Besides the 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 human interest element. Well, we it. certainly so I'll hope learn so. something along the way, along the way. But yeah, well, we certainly hope so. But it's it, it's just uh, you don't have to be afraid of Vampirella. You know, it, you know, it's not it's not this 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 like toxic uh, kind uh, of like inappropriate brand. It's it's a real right. thing. Yeah, there, 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 you know, there is some there is some there are there are adult themes. There is some sexuality. Uh, uh, you know, because that's all part of the actual existence of human beings who are in their twenties living in a city. You know exactly. No, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, growing up during the era of the bad girls of comics when that was a yes. uh, and Vampirella, un, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you view um, its reception. Uh, I'm sure sales wise, people are like thrilled. But uh, she was, but Vampirella got roped in with like the Lady Deaths and the uh, you know. The barbed wire and characters like that all characters by the way who had their own identities i love like w- when people think of tank girl and i'm like tank right. girl is not in that category but uh but neither is right. barbed wire neither is uh vampirella but uh i remember picking up some of these books obviously as a as a burgeoning young lad and uh and being dismayed by how much character and story there was in all these especially in vampirella yeah. vampirella was the most surprising for me was that it was the it was the least exploitative out of all of them well, you know, I, I think, you know, and I'm trying to be very careful because I don't want anyone, I don't want to be killed. Okay. Right. You know, uh, but uh, uh, I, I perhaps naively feel like uh, women would love what we do in Vampirella because it's very funny. It's very, yeah. it's, it's a very feminist book. Uh, this is a person who is her own person, who is right. in charge of her own self, who, you know, uh, is a fully self-realized person individual in charge of her own sexuality, making her own choices. She's never grabbed by the hair and dragged into the darkness and beat over the head. You know, uh, you know, th- there's none of that going on there. Um, uh, and it's, 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 uh, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of poignancy in there. Um, uh, there's the, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's your, it's your yeah. average kind of comic. Like it's, it's what, what you would come to expect from a comic written, written today. Well, hopefully right. it's what you would expect from me, if nothing exactly. else, yes. that there would be like this quirky humor and this approach to story that's a little unconventional. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she's, you know, she's got friends and she's got, uh, you know, a meddling mother yep. who is causing her problems all the time. And she's seeing like, a, a psychiatrist who the uh, psychiatrist doesn't believe in vampires and thinks she's crazy. Uh huh. <laughs> and he he bears more than a passing resemblance to Samuel L. Jackson. You know. Uh, um, <laughs> you know. And and it's and, and it's 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 just there's just good stuff happening here that I think you know not enough people have discovered because they assume they know what's in the book. Right. Uh, and 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 we're just trying to get so anyway. So with six six six. What happened was we did 25 issues for Vampirella's 50th anniversary. We did 25 issues. And I said, let's stop with 25. And and Dynamite was like, clutch the pearls. We're doing fine here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, why would you want to stop here? And I said, well, I want to stop here because um, I don't want us to get canceled at issue 37 and a half. Yeah. You know, issue 36.75 and, and, and we get the ax. I would rather we wrapped up this volume, which was volume five. Let's wrap up volume five here, you know, and then, you know, I would like to give Dynamite an opportunity to uh, uh, invite me to stay as opposed to having to ask me to leave. 
right you know um uh because that's how tenuous things are in the business these days people sure. have short runs and they move on and they short run and they move on yeah so uh thank god dynamite <laughs> asked me to stay and uh <laughs> Uh, and we did uh, a couple of miniseries where she uh, may or may not have married Dracula, depending on how you look at it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and then she uh, definitely had a baby. Uh, and then uh, bad people stole her baby, uh, which pissed her off. Mm -hmm. So the, the currently shipping uh, Vampirella title that we're doing is called Rage. And it's Vampirella and Dracula. And, uh, and, and, and it's basically Vampirella is pretty pissed off at the people who stole her baby and she's going to kill every last one of them. Yeah. Uh, so instead of Vampirella being the good girl, being the, the heroine or being the, you know, this per some, some person who tracks down evil people and, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, here in rage, she's the shark, right? She's the thing in the night that you need to be afraid of. She's the person who's coming after you. Um, and uh, Dracula of all people is put in this position where he is pursuing Vampirella and trying to save her from himself, from herself, mm -hmm. trying to keep her from going too far, trying to remind her of who she is and trying to bring her back to rationalization because, you know, all of this rage that she's venting, hence the title, right. um, uh, is not going to bring her baby back. Yeah. Um, so that's where we are here, which will lead us back into uh, Dynamite wanting to return to monthly publishing and just instead of doing uh, these miniseries, let's do, you know, let's get back to being an ongoing uh, concern. Cool. Uh, and then somebody up there, and I suspect it could have been Nick Barucci, but it was either Nick Barucci or uh, Joseph Rybrandt or somebody way above my pay scale did the math and said, you know, if we return to publishing a month, the monthly book, uh, we're probably somewhere around issue 666. Sure. So, you know, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool to like, you know, relaunch it with 666? And they decided to do that. Um, and with 666 and our return to uh, uh, monthly publishing, uh, at the end of Rage, there is an event that happens and it's kind of almost like a big bang. Mm. And that happens at the end of Rage, the series that, that, is, that is shipping, currently shipping as we speak. Watching well, as we as we pre-record this sure um, <laughs> and uh there, there is a there is a a big thing that happens uh and then when you when, and then when 666 begins it's like we're starting over yeah and uh as a result of this thing that happens in rage uh uh we are returning literally to where we began when uh artist ergon gudus and myself when we began our journey with vampirella way back in Vampirella number one, mm -hmm. or to be more honest, number zero, which was a free comic book day. Sure, yeah. Uh, thing. So we have gone back there. And so some of the characters who were dead are now alive. Some of the characters who have turned evil are now, have not, that's not happened to them yet. You know, Vampirella wakes up in her apartment and, and, and all these characters are there and we're back to the sort of, because what I wanted to do was I wanted to get back there. I wanted to go back to, anytime you're writing anything in continuity, you are constantly adding history and layers of depth as you go along. Yeah. And at some point you need to sweep all that away and, and simplify it again and make this jumping on part, a point for new readers. When new right. readers can walk through the door and, you know, now you have to sing the, you're such a young person. You you don't know the theme to the Jetsons, do you? Of course I know the theme to the Jetsons. Yeah. George yeah. Jetson, right? His boy Elroy, his wife, his daughter Judy. Yeah, boy yeah, Elroy, exactly. daughter Judy, right? Yeah, and here's it's, every and character. It's a, little, it's a little jingle where they bring every character on stage in that, right. what is it? Was it two minutes tops? It was like a, it's got to be less than two minutes. It, it's it, got to be 60 seconds, right? It's got to be it's in there and get out. It's got to be 60 seconds. Yeah. But look how brilliant that was. Yeah where they brought every character on stage individually. They all took their bow. They all did something that demonstrated their character. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, even the template. dog, you know, so they, every, <laughs> right. Even, even the dog, Astro, even the dog. Yeah. You know, so, you know, Vampirella 666 is like, you know, you, you start reading it, you know, you know, meet Vampirella, you know, <laughs> is Benny the witch and here her girlfriend, Victory, and here's, you know, the, yeah. the psychiatrist, except that things have uh, uh, like thunderously changed. Yeah, it's exactly the same and completely different. 
So mm. if you if you have never read the series, you get the Jetson song. So this right. is a perfect place to, to to stop by and and get your toe in the water and see what we're talking about and is this working for you? Okay, yeah. but but it's the perfect place to get past the cover and discover that this is not marginally different than Paper Girls, you right. know. Uh, or Saga, you know, or anything else that Brian K. wants, <laughs> you know, it, it, who, who's, who's way more talented than I am, uh, that writes, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But that audience, I think, would find something to appeal. It would appeal to that, particularly Ergon's art style, which yeah. is more like animation cells. And, and, and 666 is maybe the most beautiful, unbelievably lush job that this guy has done. It's the best work the guy has done ever on this book. It's outstanding artwork. If Forget me, get it for the, <laughs> for the art. But, you know, it's just this wonderful place for you to, uh, you know, to, to be indoctrinated into Vampirella's world. Now, if you've been reading the series, you will get 666 on a whole nother level because you will so start reading this book and start, hopefully, start laughing out loud because you will realize, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> everything has changed right and you know but none of this will seem odd to the new reader because they don't they don't know any better yeah, yeah people yeah. who have been reading the book before they will instantly recognize they will get all the easter eggs they will get all the sight gags they will get what's going on it's kind of like watching the flash movie you know where, where like if you're a comic book fan you pick through the thing and you just go okay i get that i get that i get that. yeah so that's kind of what we're up to, and I think uh, I'm I'm really very proud of the, of the issue, and uh, and the storyline that it kicks off, um, and uh, it's just basically like I said before, it's this young girl trying to make it on her own in the big city, and Vampirella wants uh, Sal. He wants everything that we want. She, she wants family and love and community. She wants purpose, a job. She wants you know a a, a focus for her life. You know, she wants all these things. And uh, you have to think of Vampirella the same way you think of Casper, the friendly ghost. Okay. And and you're much too young to remember Casper, the <laughs> friendly ghost. But, you know, Casper, the friendly ghost was 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 this cartoon in the 60s. And it's about this, 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 this friendly little, little ghost. And, you know, and he wanted everything we wanted. He wanted family and friends and community and all this other stuff. And he would go around, would have these adventures, and he'd make friends with people. Yep. And everything would be fine. Until somewhere in the middle of the cartoon, whoever he was dealing with would would, would suddenly realize that he's know, dead. Yeah, <laughs> he's a dead baby. Right. You know, and dead <laughs> he's a dead child. Scary. Yeah. You right. know. Yeah, he's a ghost. Uh, exactly. And they would go, "Oh, it's a ghost!" And they would run away, and he'd be sad. Yes. You know, and that's kind of Vampirella, where it's just you know, if it wasn't for the fact that she's a you know, a vampire from outer space, everything would be fine. Sure. <laughs> you know, just, but that that whole vampire from outer space stuff tends to. And she's got like a, an evil twin sister named, named Draculina, who's yes. you know up to no good. And her mother is kind of like this. Uh, she's kind of a spinoff. Uh, she's kind of a, a take a turn on the Agnes Moorhead character from Bewitched. Okay, you know the Endora character. Yeah, she's yeah, just yeah. This meddling. Yeah, domineering. Every time you turn around, and you never know which side of the fence her name she's is Lilith. Fall. What side of the fence Lilith's going to end up on? Yeah, the book is a is just it's a hoot. It's a it's a it's a, it's 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 not a comedic book. It's more like a dramedy. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, we 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 enjoy the hell out of doing it. And six 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 is probably the best example. If I could offer you up a sampler, it would be Vampirella six six six. I hope people will sample us and give us a shot here and not get so hung up on the fact that she's, you know, got this outfit on and and holding a skull or whatever is on the cover. You right. Know, Get past the book, the cover there. And if you liked Quantum and Woody, if you liked Black Panther, if you like those things that I did, you know, uh, you will like Vampirella. I guarantee you. It's it's just it's 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 more of that, more of that. It's just with this genre and this so forth thing. Yeah. And this this other thing. Well, you 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 love to uh, at least, and I don't want to pre presume, but it seems that you you love to infuse a lot of comedy and character into all the characters that you've. Uh, You've, you've you've worked on over the years um though some of your work can be uh grimly serious or uh at the very least uh 
grounded in reality or grounded in the real true human emotion and feelings. Superman Lost, for example, it's not exactly the funniest book in the world, but it is seems it has true. its moments it, but it has the, its moments the, the, the little orange guys are pretty funny <laughs> that's true exactly you, know? you can't help yourself you got to put that uh, that fun little because it's my, my, my favorite line dragon. in that book is is you know <laughs> super super it's like he interrupts them but while they're destroying the city these little yeah. orange guys and, he, and, and he's like you know stop stop what are you doing you know you you know stop destroying the you know uh those those people those people's those people's you know down there you know and the little orange guy goes People, what people? He goes, you know, those people fleeing. It is pointing below them. The people <laughs> fleeing for their lives, you know, as you destroy their homes. And the guy goes, uh, uh, guess they didn't get the email, <laughs> you know. And you know, and, and he starts pissing off the little orange guy because he's interrupting their 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 scavenging of this yeah. planet. You know, the little orange guy turns to him and he goes, "Look here, Whitey," because oh, Superman is wearing a white costume. You know, yes. but he goes, "Look here, Whitey," and the "Look here, Whitey." That's like that has to be my favorite line in the whole series. <laughs> Every now and then, I'll just try DC. I'll just go, because DC, DC and Marvel, they're corporate-owned, so you got all these corporate overlords, and they scrutinize every word, every syllable, and they dry-clean everything, and they're just you know so politically correct that they're terrified of yeah. yada, 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 whatever they're terrified. They're, they're tweeter twitters. They're, they're terrified of the thumbs. Yes. What they're terrified of. You know? So every now and then, I go, well, you know, will that survive? The, 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 it's a, it's the process. It's a really drenching pro oh god Sal. yeah it's a drenching process these days. Well, you, you were an editor at marvel for quite some time yeah but uh, that was a different world then you just it, had to deal with uh, galactus you know which was <laughs> jim shooter you know you just had to, you yeah. just had to deal with jim shooter you know because once yeah. jim signed off on it we're done we're done really that's how, how simple it was yeah yeah uh, above jim shooter was mike hobson mike hobson didn't understand anything that we were doing didn't want to understand anything sure. we were doing you know uh you know mike hobson his job was to you know uh make the retailers happy make the system work get out there and, and sell the books and so forth yeah you know um over the years the publisher of a conquer company came to be something else where Dan Buckley or Dan DiDio or somebody else named Dan, you know, <laughs> uh, they were yeah. all Dan at some point, you know, where, where they would actually be sitting in at creative meetings and, and places where frankly, you don't belong. No offense, but go back to your, go back to your spacious office and play golf. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, Jeanette Kahn, who I adored was not someone who was, if she showed up at a creative meeting, we'd all just wet ourselves. Like, oh my God, Jeanette's here. You know, uh, yeah. it was rare for Paul Levitz to be there. Yeah. You know, Paul would probably talk to the individual department heads. He'd talk to Karen Berger. He'd talk to, you know, Dick Giordano, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, for, you know, and I think later on, Paul may have taken a more interactive uh, role, but he really, he really respected this division of, of labor and he empowered the editors and the group editors and, and so forth to do their jobs. And he said he would just stay out of it. And there's times when I would beg him to step in and referee and he wouldn't. He said, yeah. like, no, no, you kids, you go work it out. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> he really was right. You know, and oh, by the way, Paul Levis was the guy who was uh, really keeping Burbank out of our lives. Yeah. And he really was fencing off the, the publishing from whatever they were doing in California and Jeanette dealt with California and dealt with all that stuff. And it was just beautiful, yeah. you know, and now we've all gotten sucked into the, the vortex, you know, uh, yeah. and the DC offices are literally in the same building, you know, as yeah. the suits and the, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a whole, it's a, it's a whole different world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm often fascinated by the industry itself and where it is, how it got there and, and, and what, has been and 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 trying to like understand kind of like the, the the perfect storm of how everyone can work amicably and yeah. produce the best quality uh, uh product because it is uh, you know and i hate to call it a product but like you know well yeah but you're selling is. a book it's, it's <laughs> but uh how involved from your experience as an editor to your experience solely as a writer uh would you say the editor has become in story 
particularly the big two, but also in, in other, in other avenues as well. But I've noticed that like nowadays, especially nowadays, there's like almost an inextricable, an inextricable connection between the editor and the direction they're going in. Well, I always thought that uh, in the best possible world, the editor was the coach of the team. Right. You know, uh, and sometimes he's, he or she is the creative director and sometimes he or she is the facilitator. Gotcha. You know, so you had, uh, you had a guy like Chris Claremont, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, the X-Men, uh, uh, the French, that franchise was just being birthed out of, out of, out of Chris. It was being, it just came, it was just flowing yeah. out of him, which is not to take anything away from Louise Simonson or uh, Bob Harris or, 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, any of the, any of the editors that, uh, that, that worked with him. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure that there was a lot of give and take, you know, at some point, whatever, but the, you know, so much of that, uh, 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 and Cynthia left out Anne. sorry, Anne. uh, uh, <laughs> she was, and, and so was great. a huge part of that. Yeah. Know? Um, but so much of that X-Men franchise and what came out of that, even with Fabian Nicieza, yeah. Peter David, and other writers who did these spinoff books, including Louise Simonson and, and others, you know, uh, they took the cues from Chris, you know, uh, uh, you know, but you go back into, say, the 60s and you had uh, Mort Weisinger uh, and Julie Schwartz, Schwartz, who was who were running the, the Superman franchise. Uh, and and they were they were kind of dictating you know, uh, maybe falling short of dictating stories. Sure. But they'd be like, you know, they, they would kind of come up with a cover where, you know, Superman is walk Superman walks into his son's room and his son is, is, is turning into a, he's transforming into a gorilla. Right. You know, and, <laughs> and that's and, the, and that's the, this is an actual cover. I'm not making this up. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And Superman goes, my God, my son is turning into a gorilla. You know, now I'm 12 years old. I have to read this. <laughs> Yes. I got to know what's going on here. So mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, Julie was right. So I'm right. sure Julie had this idea, you know, had this covered. Neil Adams drew the cover and, and he, he hands it off to Elliot Magan or, or Carrie Bates, whoever wrote that issue, <laughs> you know, and so they make it happen. And, there you go. Yeah. You know, so, it, it, you know, so nowadays, it, you know, I don't necessarily know how it's done. Um, uh, Superman Lost, which is yeah. uh, the final issue, is, is on sale now. Right. But uh, but by all means, go buy all the other ones. Go buy 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 my comic books. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's 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 a you know I, I'm really proud of that book uh, and all the work that, that the team uh, did on that book. Uh, our editor was Brittany Holzer uh, at DC, um, but the book actually began with the DC group editor uh, uh, Jamie uh, Rich. Yes. Uh, who left the company before the first issue uh, shipped. Hmm. Um, but I was working on, with Jamie on a Justice League project that actually never got done or hasn't got done yet. Ah. Maybe there's still hope. Uh, so we were putting that thing together on its feet. And, uh, uh, and I was getting off the phone with Jamie. We were just talking through the project. And, and I, I hang, all right, I'll talk to you later. And I went, oh, hey, wait a minute, before you go, Here's a free idea. Here's a freebie for your Superman guys. I had this <laughs> idea for a Superman story. I said, okay. So it's like, you know, so Superman and Lois Lane, they're, they're hanging out to doing whatever. Uh, he gets called off, you know, on a Just League mission. He goes, all right, I'll be right back. Yeah. And he takes off somewhere, you know. Uh, and then uh, she finds him, you know, like a couple hours later, standing in his living room. Yeah. And she goes, oh, you're back. You go, oh, that was quick. You know, <laughs> and he turns to him and goes, quick. I've been gone 20 years. Yeah. You know, uh, and he's been missing. He's had this whole adventure and this whole thing that's going on, whatever. So I, I, I mentioned this idea and said, you should pitch that to your Superman guys. It would be pretty good. You know, and Jamie goes, well, that sounds like something you should write. Yeah. And he goes, well, well, why don't you write it yourself? You know, and it just never occurred to me to write it myself because no one's ever invited me to write Superman. <laughs> it's just, true, yeah. it's just the way, you know, no, I just feel like that's a, that's, that's, that's a glass ceiling, you know? Hmm. And it just, you know, it just honestly never occurred to me to 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 pitch it uh, myself. Huh. And I was more than happy to just hand it off to them and let them do whatever they're going to do with it. Right. So that's how I ended up doing that. Um, and that more or less was sort of creator driven. And and yeah. Uh, and then and then Brittany came along. Now, Brittany was my assistant editor on Deathstroke. So we brought the whole Deathstroke team. Any anything you liked about Deathstroke? 
it Superman lost. It's the same creative team and the same editor editor and and uh, uh, and she did a magnificent job of wrangling that talent. And it wasn't easy. It was a real struggle really? time wise and, and, you know, commitment wise to get all this stuff done. Um, now on Vampirella, I'm working with Matt Idelson. Uh, now, Matt Idelson is also the father of Everett K. Ross. Everett K. Ross is the Black Panthers handler from the State Department, the U.S. State <laughs> Department. And he's a character that I created when I worked for Matt Idelson a million years ago when I was writing Kazar for yeah. Marvel. Uh, and after Kazar, I moved Everett Ross over into the Black Panther book and the rest is history. So mm-hmm. Matt and I, we go way back. And so we're working on Vampirella here. And I would say easily half of the ideas that make it into the book are actually Matt's ideas. Hmm. And I thank God for that. You know, <laughs> I, I don't I don't really go, oh, leave me alone, editor. I, my ego. I am the writer. Who? How dare you give me ideas? No, give me ideas. Give sure. me, I'll take all the free ideas <laughs> you want to give me and I'll gladly take credit for them. Uh, but Matt is, uh, you know, uh, I, I feel like we, we are, we have a real partnership. Uh, we have a, you know, decades long friendship yeah. and, uh, uh, it's a really good relationship and a, and a good place. And, and, uh, and dynamite has really just been extraordinary in terms of a work situation. Um, I think second only to acclaim. Do you remember Acclaim Comics? When I do, when, that when Valiant uh, switched over to Acclaim, when they were acquired, I believe, by Acclaim. Yeah, they were uh, acquired by the, 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 the video, video game company, company. <laughs> Acclaim. Yeah. And then they hired Fabian Nicieza. And then Fabian came over, and he put together the team. And the thing about uh, hiring a guy like Fabian is like, you know, Fabian, Mark Wade, uh, who else can I think of? You know, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm short like half a dozen other people, but there's, uh, you know, when you're hiring somebody who has been on the other side of the desk, oh, like yeah. Fabian has, someone who was struggling to get recognized before he became, you know, Fabian. I mean, mm-hmm. for years, he was just struggling to get work yeah. as a writer, you know, before before he hit it big with, uh, was it X something, X yeah. Facto, whatever. Oh, yes, X yes, his, uh, his, his, yes. You know, <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, you know, so when he inherited that role, where now he has to be the gym shooter, he has to be the the leader of the pack here. Yeah, he has uh, a great deal of reference for uh, the, the the struggles, the creative struggles, the financial struggles, the emotional struggles that freelancers go through. So uh, uh, Acclaim Comics was just a delightful shop to work for. Yeah, because he just got it. Fabian just understood talent. He understood the creative process. Um, and, uh, we were doing just gangbusters work. And I think the problem was that, uh, the comics are almost always the, the tail of the dog, mm-hmm. you know, where the video game company is, you know, they're, they're, they're realizing profits and losses on this other scale. Yeah. You know, and comics is just like, kind of like the, the, the tail of the dog and, this little side gig we got going on here. Exactly. You know, so when the video game thing started to tank, uh, uh, we were like the first to go, but yeah. uh, I, I can't tell you that was just a wonderful uh, experience. Uh, and uh, uh, Doc Bright and I, we created uh, quantum and Woody over there and we just had a blast doing it. And uh, we had just so much fun working there. And Fabian was such a great boss to work for. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm working with uh, Nick Barucci and uh, uh, Joseph Rybrandt and uh, and they gave me Matt and Matt and I are uh, I think we're getting married next month. Actually. <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, looking forward to uh, to getting the wedding invite invitation uh, with 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 respect to Quantum and Woody. This is another uh, this is. Admittedly, this is the first work of yours that I recognized was yours because uh because admittedly i did read uh you know as a as a child i was a spider-man fan but i knew you under a different name yes. and uh, and i i never drew the connection so i think i want to i want to say like about uh, six seven hours ago but uh no but, uh, it, way it to go way to prep for the interview exactly it was it was an, it was an embarrassingly recent amount of time i want to say it was like six seven years ago that i was like Someone, someone referenced it. They said, "Oh, do you know Christopher Priest wrote uh, Spider-Man vs. Wolverine?" I'm like, "No, that was that was Owsley." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, oh, one of the same. Yeah. Oh, it's the same person. 
<sighs> but uh, but uh, but yeah, no, that the uh, Quantum and Woody was uh, a fantastic gateway to humor comics, to comics that were exclusively like a buddy cop comedy movie. It was a it was a comedy book. I'd never really been drawn to one before because most of the time if i'm being honest the the the, the books that i per, that i perceived as comedy books archie you know things like sure. where it was mugging you know real trying to like get you to oh look at the silly goofy nonsense but with with quantum woody it was like oh i recognize this superheroes and then you read it and you're you're sucked in by the characters by the premise and, and by the art and you're like oh i'm laughing but i'm also I'm on issue seven. Yeah. Hopefully you're also engaged. Oh, and of know? course I'm and engaged. Well, that, that's the idea is that like, I'm, I'm connected with these characters right. and, and I'm learning a lot about like people and, 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 and entering a world I would never have uh, been exposed to without. I, th I think the thing that grates me about the quantum and Woody is that uh, if you, if you took Woody, the character Woody out of the book, yeah. it would be basically your standard, yes. almost generic superhero comic. Yes. Right. Right. And 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 uh, the gag with 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 Quantum and Woody is that we had one character in the book who would be the Jerry Seinfeld. He would be the person who would stop and point out the absurdity of the moment or the absurdity of you know whatever was going on. Right. You know. Um, but the villains weren't funny. The situations weren't goofy. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of uh, poignancy to it. There was a whole issue where we did. Uh, a story about uh, Woody's uh, upbringing yeah. and, and how his mother was a junkie and he was growing up on the street. And, and that definitely wasn't funny. No. And, uh, uh, and, and I, and, and, and what, what kind of uh, bugs me, I guess, is that uh, when uh, Valiant or whichever version of Valiant it was, because Valiant has been reinvented a couple, a couple of, of times. Yeah. Uh, when they brought the book back, number one, they didn't invite us to work on it, which I found bizarre because we, we're still alive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're still here. Um, uh, but uh, when when they, they they went in and tweaked the premise, yeah. uh, and they just wanted to make it funny, and and yeah. they, they missed the point that the book really wasn't funny. Mm -hmm. The character of Woody was funny. Yes, but that you know, makes the whole thing. Like, you know, it, it, because you have a character who's willing to point out, you know, and that's that's a thing that um, is handled with, like, poise in your right. book that is not... Nowadays, it's done for laughs. It's done to, you know, and put a hat on. And we never did that. We never did that. I, I no. just plotted it like a regular book, but I would have Woody kind of seize the moment. And there were things that we would do that was kind of absurd. Like, Woody liked to play the same song on guitar over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. And 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 if, if it was a if it was a funny bit, and I stole this from borrowed, gently borrowed from from David Letterman, where uh, when Letterman had the late night show, not so much the the, the mainstream show, but the, the the one before that, the NBC show that was on late night. Yeah. He, if if a joke struck Dave as funny. He would do the same gag over and over yes. and over, and he would beat you to death with it. You know, <laughs> week after week after week after week, this joke would reoccur or this bit was would reoccur, mm -hmm. even if it wasn't. Even if we, the audience, didn't necessarily think it was that funny. Oh no! Eventually, yeah. Eventually, we just have to go the absurdity of it. You know, so 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 you know, Woody coming home, and you see him put on the headphones, and you see him plug in the guitar, and you know what's coming next. You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, and then we had one where they switched bodies. Yeah. So now Eric is in Woody. Woody is in Eric's body. So now he's Eric. You know, putting on the glasses and pulling. You know, because we have to do the gag. You know, right. well, you know, once we do, you know, so there would be uh, certainly humorous moments. Uh, and there's humorous moments like that in Vampirella. And I'm, I'm sorry to keep uh, oh, yeah, sure. your head with Vampirella, but I'm just using <laughs> it as an example that, you know, if you like that, you will like what we're doing, Cap. You know, because there's there's a lot, a lot of humor in people. Yeah. And, and the reason why, Sal, is that I'm just a child. I, I'm just, <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just, you know, you know, like uh, with all due respect to uh, Black Panther writers and there's Lots of writers who are much better writers than I am, who make way more money than I am, you know. But I, you know, when Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti, when they called me up and they tried to drag me off to do Black Panther, yeah, you know, I warned them. I said, okay, look, it's got to be this, that, and the next thing. And I gave all these conditions, and they all said, fine. I said, and I said, oh, and by the way, it's going to be funny, you know. <laughs> and and that worried them a little bit. Oh, sure. Until they saw what I was actually doing. 
you know, and then you realize, okay, the book wasn't funny, but there was a guy, there was a character in the book. Yeah. Everett K. Ross, who did and said funny things right. and who, who became this point of, of comic relief. And when you're dealing with, 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 with a character like Black Panther and with concepts like Wakanda and, and things on a world scale and things of, of, of incredible, you know, grim importance and Black Panther himself, who, uh, as I wrote him, was a sort of taciturn. Mm-hmm. Y- 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 we looked at Black Panther from the outside. We never went inside. We never knew exactly what he's thinking. There was never any internal monologue. You know, I, a creature of the night, creep through and you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, I, I don't want to know what he's thinking. I want Ross to speculate what he's thinking. And I want Ross to get it wrong because <laughs> I want him to be a mysterious guy who just confounds expectation. Sure. So, you know, when you have something like that, you need the pressure valve. You need to every now and then turn that valve and release some of that pressure. And that's what Ross was there for. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, just like Panther, you know, like, uh, you know, Quantum Woody, Vampirella, they're not necessarily funny books. Right. But they're just kind of like, you know, um, you know, I think that, oh, what I was saying is that the, the, the writers who came after me, with Black Panther, they went right back to making Black Panther so serious yes. that the book is a little relentlessly oppressive. Yeah. Because it's so important now. I'm important. It's a very important book. <laughs> and it's really no point, you know, you know, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Ryan Coogler, God bless him, he got it. He, yeah. you know, he did this movie and there were there was copious amounts of humor. In the movie, yeah, you know, yeah. without Black Panther himself necessarily being a funny guy, because that would be wrong for the character. Mm-hmm. But you know, Shuri was funny, and these other people were funny, you know, and you had these 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 great moments. And God knows, Killmonger, you know, yeah. <laughs> he gets the mask. <laughs> I just thought it was deaf, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, beautiful, brilliant, yeah. exactly yeah. right, you know. Yeah. So I, I just think, so I I just think you know, I think you know, comic book fans, you know. If you want to keep people entertained, you know, I yeah. look back at, at, at uh, Stan Lee and Jerry Conway and, and and these guys, Roy Thomas, and these guys that sort of paved the, well, not necessarily Roy. Roy wasn't that funny. Jerry was a hoot. <laughs> Jerry was a hoot. Steve Englehart, you yeah. know, a lot of these really classic guys, you know, um, and certainly Stan, who would just, <laughs> he would invoke all, all, all kinds of humor, you know, including in the footnotes. He'd write stuff in the footnotes about how, like, uh, I just made this shit up, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Stan. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could tell from him, like, infusing all of every moment. He's just having a, he's just having a blast. He like, was having a ball, and he let us come to the party. Yeah, you know? I like that. So I want all comic book writers you know, or people who want to be comic writers, by all means, please have fun and invite us to the party. Don't take it so, why so serious? You know? <laughs> everybody wants to be Neil Gaiman now. Yeah, like, yeah. Not everybody can, and not everybody should. I agree. No, it's true. Uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, because of your experience, and I, I haven't had really much experience talking with creators who were there uh, at the formation of Milestone. And I, I just wanted to ask about um, one of your mo- one of your fondest memories about working uh, with the formation of Milestone. I have none. You have none? <laughs> All right. So just for clarity, uh, uh, I was never part of the uh, 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 of Milestone Media. Uh, I was part of the group that became Milestone Media yes. that reinvented itself as Milestone Media after I uh, uh, stepped away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, certainly I was part of the group that created all the core characters. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Dwayne McDuffie and myself were largely responsible for creating the the world that those characters lived in. Like I yeah. I, I named mu- much of that stuff. I named the universe Dakota and I named the, the little kid static. And, you know, uh, you know, so I was I was pretty good with the names. Yeah. You know, uh, Dwayne uh, really came with a lot of the concepts, a lot of the meat of the the characters, along with uh, Dennis and, and myself. And, uh, you know, so it was uh, long, long, long hours of yeah. uh, camping out in Dennis's living room and uh, 
which which couldn't have helped, you know, his relationship with his significant other. Sure. So, because uh, we were just there. I mean, I'm talking like 18 hour meetings. I'm talking yeah. about just being there, you know, uh, constantly uh, because Paul Levitz, we were working with Paul Levitz in D.C. Right. And Paul was uh, quite the taskmaster uh, uh, that he wasn't just going to green light just anything, mm-hmm. you know, so we really needed to not only make the creative part work, we had to make the business part work. So now we have to, Derek Dingle, who was our business guy, Derek now has to take us all to school. He has to explain, hell are you talking about? Profit right. and loss and this and that and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, so now we're, he's schooling us on all this stuff and now we're yeah. creating all these, uh, uh, all these, you know, uh, flow charts, not flow charts. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you call them? Anyway. Like graphs and yeah. Whatever, we're, we're doing all this stuff. And it, it, it was just uh, 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 an arduous process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I have any fond memories, you know, uh, it was basically, uh, uh, I, I think probably just getting to know Dwayne. Yeah. Uh, uh, I just saw that film Oppenheimer. Yeah. And um, there's places in the film where the characters are trying to explain physics to us. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever stood with someone who has got a brain that big and they're trying to explain quantum physics to you right. and just lose you, you know, and Dwayne would be talking this stuff and he'd hang a left at the corner, just you gone. know, <laughs> conversationally to have a left at the corner. And, and, you know, and now I'm just nodding and I know I'm just waiting for him to stop talking. I have no idea. <laughs> sure. So, uh, uh, he uh, was maybe the smartest guy I knew. And what was interesting about him, and he taught me a lot. Uh, and he, uh, one of the things he taught me was uh, that uh, you should be humble enough. All of us, we should be humble enough to lose an argument mm. and to admit when you've lost rather than just keep fighting on because your pride, you know, won't let you stop talking. Yeah. You know, uh, and 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 so there's times when I would uh, we had a lot of creative disagreements, which is not unusual for, you know, a bunch of people, you know, in a room trying to trying to cook, you know. So we're all arguing about the oregano or whatever. And I remember (laughs) having like this, this, you know, I'd have these these fights with Michael Davis and Michael would just kind of hit me over the head with his with his uh, Yale degree. (laughs) <laughs> and I just, I just wanted to throw him out the window, Yeah, you know, and I'm like, you know, how many times are you going to bring up your Yale degree? You know, I, I, you know, what does that got to do with like how, how static makes a sandwich? Right. <laughs> you right. Know, how does it, you know, go away, you know? So anyway, so, you know, but Dwayne, you know, I could argue with Dwayne and at some point Dwayne would hold his hand up and stop and he would think and he'd go, you know what? You're right. Yeah. You know, and we move on. And I'm like, wow. So at some point I, you know, we, we were taking a break. We're at Dennis's house, of course. <laughs> we just lived there. Uh, and we were taking a break. And I turned to Dwayne and I said, listen, can I ask you something? He goes, sure. <laughs> and I went, uh, you know, if I had your level of education, and it's not just the education, Sal, it was just the thoughtfulness yeah. that the guy was a thinker, that the guy would apply himself to and adapt himself to the room he was in and to the, and to the population of that room to the personalities in that room. And he would just, you know, find a way to communicate. And I said, you know, if I had that gift that you had, I don't know that I'd be speaking to, <laughs> to speaking to any of you. Because my <laughs> ego would just, you know, and I asked him, well, how do you keep, you know, keep that, uh, you know, the humility, that, yeah. your, your ego in check, you know, and he thought about it for a second. He said, Jim, and I'll never forget these words. He said, Jim, my ego is so big that if I ever let it into the room, you know, nobody would ever speak to me again. Wow. He says, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at, you know, and I just kind of, you know, take it from there. Yeah. Uh, but he was, uh, you know, uh, a very self-disciplined person. At times he would, could be very passionate. So he would go up to DC and get into useless fights with the sales department. <laughs> and I would beg him to not do that because I was at DC. I was their DC coordinator. Yeah. I was like, no, talk to me. Right. Let, Let me go down the hall and fight with them. So when you come into the office, you just have that big, you know, 50 cent smile, you know. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Cuz 50 cent got that great smile. You know, you yeah. just have that what that laid back, 
yeah, I don't know what you heard about me. You know, he just cruise <laughs> in, you know, yeah. uh, it's your birthday, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, let me go and piss the guys off and fight right. with the guys. You know, that's that's what I'm that's what they pay me to do. Exactly. And, and, you know, but he would still insist on fighting his own battles. So he would come to D.C. and he'd roll up his sleeves and he'd go in there, you know, and uh, uh, and fighting with the sales department is always a bad idea because then you're not going to get them to work for you. Yeah. You know, to sell your comic book. But 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 that my my best memories were just kind of like hanging with the guys, yeah. you know, uh, hanging with Dennis, who I've known since he was a teenager. Uh, Dwayne, I was just getting to know Dwayne uh, and uh, Derek. And of course, Michael, I've known Michael for quite, I had known Michael for quite a, a long time as well. So it was, it was just kind of, you know, that sort of thing. But believe me, uh, Sal, it was, it was not an Fun. easy process. And <laughs> it, it was, was just, it was just so much work that that's all I really remember was just like, oh my God, that was a lot of work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your insight, man. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and of course, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Vampirella 666 and more uh, from there. The, uh, I got to pick up the Rage of Vampirella and more. Superman um, Lost. Superman Go Lost is going to be Lost. It's out there now. Go get it. Yes, that baby is going to come out uh, as a trade sooner than later because they're really good about getting those trades out there fast. Um, pardon me. That's okay. <laughs> I, cer- I certainly, I certainly hope so. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 I know that there's going to be a hardcover in the summer. Yeah. I believe there will be a trade before then. I just don't have the dates for this yet, but no, they've no. already solicited the hardcover. I think it's July. I think yeah. somewhere around the convention. Uh, I have to ask one more question before we go, because I'm just, sure. uh, I, I, I did a little bit of research and uh, I, I listened to uh, your album. Um, <laughs> under the pseudonym Hollistone. And, uh, oh my God. It's, was it the streetwise thing? That it was streetwise. Thing? I listened to streetwise, and oh. uh, it's good. It's oh. it's it's fire. Like I I love. Oh, it. it's the uh, world's worst album. Ever. I liked I liked it. Daddy was uh, oh. had, had a good had a good Motown funk to it that I was like really receptive to, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm just wondering what you know when's the next album coming out? Oh man, I miss music. I really do. Uh, if you ever up on my site, which is ChristopherPriest.com, if you ever get up there and you get into the music section, at least skip ahead to like the latter stuff, which was sure. actually much better because uh, that was like a first attempt. And then we were teenagers and I don't know what we were doing. You know, <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I used to sing like Michael Jackson. Yeah. And, and I don't mean I sounded a little like him or I used to just emulate him, whatever. I mean, I, I sounded exactly like Michael Jackson. I mean, to the point where, you know, talent scouts came to my house and was trying to get me to was trying to get my mother to allow them to uh, uh, record me. Yeah. Um, and of course, mom looking out for my best interest and considering, you know, the path that Michael ended up on, or maybe she was right. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, she, you know, kind of, you know, but you know, white guys in suits came to my house. That's how right. much I sounded like Michael Jackson. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, so that particular song you're talking about, I recruited a kid who kind of sounded like little Michael Jackson to kind of, you know, play the role of me as a kid or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that kid has grown up now and he's uh, uh, on The Voice. He's one of the, uh, he's part of the band, the house band of The Voice. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Michael Hammond. He's out there somewhere. <laughs> um, and it's all grown up now. Uh, but I but I remember, <laughs> I remember when we were, we, were, we were recording that thing, you know, I, I'd have to pick him up from his house and we were walking through Brooklyn and I would make him hold my hand. And he was like 10 years old and no 10 year old wants to hold some grown man's hand. But it was like we're walking down this crowded street and we're in Brooklyn and I don't want the kid to get snatched because then like I got to explain, oh, oh, you go? I'm sorry, ma'am. I let your kid get snatched. You know, So like, no, yeah. hold my hand. <laughs> you know? But uh, yeah, uh, that, that was like, uh, you know, uh, anyway, funny thing about that record. Yeah. If you look on uh, discogs.com, D-I-S-C-O-G-S, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's it's the where they rate r- rare albums or whatever like that and collectibles. Yeah. Uh, that album has become a rare private print. Uh, and uh, if you can find a copy of it that is uh, in mint condition or better yet sealed, mm. uh, they're currently going for $3,000 a copy. Very nice. And, and how many copies to, do you have? <laughs> I don't have any. I, I had, I have one, and I'm not giving it up. You mm-hmm. know, but I had, I had four boxes of them. 
sure. at my at, at my apartment in New Jersey, and the, and the basement flooded, and oh. uh, and I and I tossed them all out. Oh. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's the world's worst album. Uh, <laughs> but I I routinely get uh, emails from uh, France and and I believe Germany. Uh, some guy in Germany wanted to remix it, wanted to make it like a disco thing. Uh, oh. And I was like, are you kidding? Are you sure you got the right guy? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there you go. The Europeans, they, you know, they always, uh, they, they, they know. I'm huge in France. <laughs> exactly. Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Priest, thanks so much for being here. Folks, uh, check out Vampirella 666, and we'll see you guys next time with another episode. So long, everybody. <laughs>